It's February 21st, 1858, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. On this show, we have regularly revisited historical moments where a patent has made its inventor very rich. But today's story is slightly different because it looks at a time when someone's patent made somebody else very rich. For when today in history in 1858, a chap named Edwin Holmes installed the world's first ever electric burglar alarm, it was actually a device built on intellectual property that he'd merely bought rather than dreamed up, slaved over and patented himself. Yes, the patent for the first ever electric burglar alarm, and it's worth saying electric because obviously there were burglar alarms before that, they were called dogs, (laughs) Uh, was created by Augustus Pope. And Holmes from Boston, Massachusetts, had bought it in 1857 for $1,500. Pope had had it kind of in a drawer for four years. It'd been languishing there. Yeah, and Holmes and Pope had probably met at Charles Williams's telegraph workshop. Charles Williams was an electrical engineer. He actually goes on to reappear in the story later. He would work for Thomas Edison. And so this telegraph workshop was kind of a gathering place for electrical hobbyists and it was right down the road from where Holmes had his business. He was a general store owner and, you know, entrepreneur like all men of this generation. Every American man in the 19th century. I own a bank. I've got a sideline over here where I'm creating my own religion. We're going to see which one takes. Yeah, and Pope, as you said, had patented it in 1853. He described it as, I love this, Uh, An improvement in electromagnetic alarms for the purpose of giving an alarm in case of burglarious or other attempts to enter. (laughs) Oh, that is good. Burglarious. Uh, At this point, he was already in very ill health. He was failing. He had, I think it was typhoid fever, and he died the year after he sold this. So he probably sold it knowing that he he was never going to make a go of it. And basically how it worked was it created kind of an open circuit around a door or window and any movement to the door or window would close the circuit which would allow the current to flow to the alarm bell which would then ring. Yes, it was based on a type of telegraph system and it used batteries, electricity and electromagnetism which sent energy down the wire until, as you say, Rebecca, it reached a bell which would make a dinging sound to alert the person (laughs) in question that something burglarious was going on. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But what was clever about it actually as well was that because it's very simple, obviously, it's a circuit. But what was clever about it as well was that if the circuit was put back together, e.g., a window being hastily shut back by someone committing the burglarious action, <laughs> it would still continue to ring. Yes. Well, one big problem for Holmes in selling this thing was that. Burglar alarms, at least as far as he saw it, weren't that necessary in Boston, which had a comparatively low crime rate. And so he actually, like his first business decision that was of any significance was to move to New York City, where, as he said at the time, he believed all the country's burglars made their home. And so his his plan was, <laughs> let's just go to a place where there's more burglaries going on, and that's where people will need this device. But the other issue that he had, and we discussed this in our episode about Christmas lights, was that people at the time were scared of electricity. They didn't want electricity anywhere Mm. near their houses. I mean, it was some 20 years later that they installed electricity at the White House and President Rutherford B. Hayes wouldn't touch the switches. You know, this is 20 years before then. And it's not just, here's a button to switch a light on. It's like, hey, what about if we electrify your doors and windows? You can see why the average person wouldn't think that was a great use of electricity in their house. And this is probably why he would eventually start marketing it under the name the Burglar Alarm Telegraph. Mm. There was no mention of spooky electricity, just the positive associations of the telegraph. And as you say, it was partly based on the kind of technology that underpinned the telegraph as well. So 
So there was an advert from 1864 in the New York Times where he describes it thusly. He says, Whoever heard of a house being burglar-proof with every window or door open six inches, more or less, as they may be using the burglar alarm telegraph? Mm, He sort of put a little autograph on each advert that was published in the papers and they were part of a series and he'd then basically name all the influencers that had bought this technology so like one week in the new york times it would say now selling to pt barnum yes. and then the next week it would say now selling to jp morgan and other famous men who didn't have two first initials probably <laughs> um and also that you should come and see it yeah i mean an ad that i've seen actually says very clearly call and see it it is a practical thing Because, again, going back to those Christmas lights, it's like until you see how this works, you might be scared of it. But it's a very straightforward thing when you come and have a look. Come and have a look. And he published his address and his signature, put his brand on it, made himself seem approachable. Yeah, that idea that his genius was for advertising rather than anything to do with product innovation is... Definitely reinforced by the fact that in the whole time between this being a not terribly successful product to him eventually by 1866 having a client base of more than 1,200 customers without having changed the product at all. It speaks to Mm. the fact that he's just clever at telling a story. And part of the story was, as well as having famous names associated with his device, was a really early version of... Scare tactics. You know, he spoke in his advertising about statistics from the New York Police Department and state prisons talking about the prevalence of crime in certain areas and why it was important if you had a business or indeed a home. You needed one of these things to stop the crime from coming to you and your door. And one thing that was missing was what do you do when you hear about the intruder? You know, in the pre-industrial era, home security was really preventative. You'd have locks, you'd have iron bars, you'd have safes. You even had things like foothold traps. You know, the, I didn't know that they were called this. You know, the, the things that clamp together on your leg with, Ooh, the, with wow. the big teeth in them. Yeah, Apparently yeah, they yeah. were invented in the 1600s as an anti-poacher device. By Macaulay Culkin <laughs> trying to stop people from coming <laughs> into his home. <laughs> you know, and now suddenly because of technology, you've got this thing that can notify you when your house is being burgled. Well, what do you do next? And this is kind of where Holmes had his next great idea, which was the monitoring station. Mm. This wasn't part of the plan at first. This was 10 years later in 1877. He came up with this idea that you could actually connect the burglar alarms to a central service that he would also operate where they would send people out to respond to the burglar alarm. Mm. And what made this work was that his son, who was also called Edwin, who worked in the business, he was back in Boston in 1877. And he was again at Charles Williams's workshop and there he encountered a guy called Thomas Watson, who was an electrical engineer, and he was playing around. I can't believe around. this is a Victorian story with people called Holmes and <laughs> Watson. Watson. Holmes and Watson. <laughs> and it's real. So Edwin Holmes Jr. encountered this guy, Thomas Watson, and Watson was tinkering around with a new invention, the telephone. Uh, they got to talking and they realised that they both had kind of a similar issue, which was that in those days there, were n- there was no central grid. If you wanted an electrical device, you basically had to hire some fly-by-night guy to come and just sort of nail it up the side of your neighbour's wall and across the roof. Mm. So they worked out that the plan to help both fledgling businesses was that they could share the electrical wires. It was getting to a point where some places in New York were complaining that the sun was being blocked out because there were just wires crisscrossing the street. Yeah, because everyone who was plugged into this monitoring system that Holmes had been selling had to have a wire going from their house all the way to his (laughs) building in central New York. Just tacked on to the sides of office blocks and people's buildings. 
you know, just whatever they could get away with. And obviously that's not sustainable when you've got 1,500 clients. Mm. Yeah, so Holmes Jr. and Watson worked out this plan to share the lines. They would use them for phone lines during the day and then they would be used for the alarm service during the night. And this was a big success in Boston. They got 700 subscribers pretty quickly. And then they brought the same system to New York City. The following year, Edwin Holmes Sr. became the president of the Bell Telephone Company, which had been founded by Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Watson and Gardner Green Hubbard to market the telephone. Phone, but he never actually, they didn't want to be in the phone business. This was really no. just about sharing the lines. So a couple of years later, he cashed in all his shares for $100,000 and an extremely handy agreement that no rival burglar alarm system could use Bell telephone lines. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit short-sighted though, wasn't it? I mean, given the choice, I'd probably rather be an investor in early telephones than early burglar alarms. Yeah. <laughs> I think he may have failed there. But it was quite a clever bit of symbiosis in a way because... It's the same client base as well, isn't it? Not only do they solve each other's problems, the very wealthy people with disposable income and something to protect, whom I'd mentioned earlier, you know, the Barnums and the Morgans, Mm. they'd formed the core of his customers, were exactly the same people who then, when the telephone caught on, would be wanting to call each other. So, I mean, the infrastructure then gets laid down for both. And also, you know, you say that it feels like a safer investment to be in phones rather than burglar alarms, but... In the US alone, according to CBS News, I found a statistic that today the business of alarms is worth $22 billion annually and employs 171,000 people. I suppose the thing is, though, until it's actually preventing people from committing the crime in the first place, it's sort of not working. I mean, it's one thing that it actually technically is working and ringing a bell. I mean, it's clever from a business point of view, but actually it hasn't stopped you being broken into and having your stuff nicked, has it? And you sort of feel like that's still maybe a process that hasn't finished evolving. The ultimate deterrent would be, you know, rather like when someone steals your gadget, your device, they just won't bother because they know you can disable it somehow. Like no one would bother going into Mm. your house because they know they'll instantly get caught. And we're still not in that position, are we? You know, over 100 years after this invention. We still need bear traps to (laughs) stop people (laughs) coming through the door. (laughs) Tomorrow. A naked woman would act as the altar lying down while holding black candles in each hand. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.